If you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 6 this morning. John chapter 6, we're continuing our series on the miracles of Jesus. And today we've come to uh, that story, the miraculous feeding of 5,000. And uh, man, I don't know if I had five small hamburger buns and a couple of fishes, I don't think I could feed you let alone 5,000 plus women and children. But here we have this story. And, and really what's really cool is besides the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself, this is the only miracle or sign, if you please, that's actually communicated in all four Gospels, which means what? It's pretty important. We ought to pay attention. It's like when we tell our kids when we go to Walmart, hey, look with your eyes, not with your hands. And it seems like, like you said, your sister, Ruth Ann's telling her kids all over and over and over again, we teach by repetition. And so we see this in all four Gospels. And, and one of the things I think it's important when we're looking at the miracles of Jesus as John puts them together, we got to remember that John only includes certain miracles or signs for a reason. See, there's a lot of other things. In fact, if you go to the end of the book of John, in John chapter 20, let me read this for you. In John chapter 20, in verse number 30 and following, it says, And many other signs. It says, Many other signs did Jesus, he did these in the presence of his disciples. But John says, They're not even written in the book. But in verse 31, it says, But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing that you might have life through his name. And so John is very intentional about uh, what he's including. Well, we know he's intentional because the Holy Spirit is the one that caused him to be intentional in the first place. John didn't just come up with these stories. It's the Holy Spirit of God that's telling him to communicate them. And so what we see here is uh, uh, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and and uh, what we know is from last week, we looked at Jesus in John chapter 5. I went into the pool there at Bethesda, and he healed the paralyzed guy. He'd been laying there for 38 years, waiting for something that would never happen. Well, between that miracle in John chapter 5 and the miracle that we're about to read about, it's probably been about six months to a year time. In fact, you can go to John chapter 6 through 9. You can go to Luke chapter 3 uh, through 6 or, or Mark chapter 3 through 6 rather. You can go to Matthew chapter 5 through 7 and where Jesus communicates uh, the Sermon on the Mount and then even the kingdom parables in Matthew chapter 13. So a lot of time has actually passed. So we come to this miracle in John chapter 6. Now, for those that are visiting with us, we're using a definition for miracle. And our definition we find in Merriam-Webster's dictionary states that a miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in the human affairs. To suffice it, it means it doesn't make sense. I can explain it away. You might try to explain it away, but to the world it doesn't make sense. And so that's what we find here. And as we've looked in John chapter 2, John chapter 4, John chapter 5, the same Jesus who turned the water to the wine, the same Jesus who told the nobleman, hey, go thy way, thy son liveth, the same Jesus who went and told the guy at the pool, he said, get up, get your bed and get moving, is the same Jesus we find in John chapter 6 in our text. Folks, I don't know about you, but we can be encouraged. We can, we can be encouraged because Jesus is not overwhelmed with our needs. As Winston said, listen, sometimes we have physical needs, but I can tell you all the time we have spiritual needs. And so I'm so thankful that Jesus meets our needs. He's ready, he's willing, and he's able 
to work. But the question is, and it's always kind of been the question for me and for you, the question is, do we actually believe? Do you believe this morning? Some, some of our folks, listen, Brother Jerry just found out. He got a diagnosis from the doctor the other day that's not good, right? Some of us need the Lord to intervene physically, but some of us need the Lord to intervene in our marriages. Some, some of us need the Lord to intervene with our relationship with our children. Some of us need the Lord to intervene financially. It doesn't matter what we're going through. The same Jesus who did these miracles wants to work and do miracles in our lives today. But the big question is, do we believe that he can do it? Right? And so it's been said, I, I wrote this down, it's been said everyone always wants a miracle but no one always wants, no one wants to be in the situation that necess, necessitates it. We all want a miracle, but we don't want to be the one that's in the situation that necessitates a miracle. But let's take a look at our story in John chapter 6 and see what God has for us this morning. It says in verse number 1, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him and said, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, Hey, there's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men to sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the man sat down in a number of about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, He said, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above of them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, they said, This is of a truth that prophets should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Today I simply want to point out three words. You say, I can't believe it. He only wants to point out three words. Here, you want to write them down? If you're a note taker, I want you to write these words down. I want you to notice the word because. Because, that's the first word. And then the second word is not. Because, not. And then the last word is a word that we're all very familiar with. It's the word but. B-U-T. Not the one with two T's. Because, not, and but. I want you to look at these words and right away I want you to see what God's word has to say about these three words because we find the very first word in verse number two. Notice what the Bible says and it says a great multitude. They followed him. There it is. Why did they follow Jesus? Why? It's, it's not a trick quiz. Why did they follow Jesus? Because. I got a question this morning. Why we follow Jesus? 
You see, the reason these people were following Jesus is because they had heard that he could heal people. They had seen that he could heal people. In fact, if you do a study and look at verse 1, 2, and 3, it's apparent, and you go to Mark's gospel, Luke's gospel, Matthew's gospel, it's apparent that Jesus and his disciples, they get in a boat. They go over the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias, and the people seeing Jesus in the boat, they're like, They're running around the lake. They're trying to get over there so that when he gets to the other side, they're already there. But the only reason they're following him is because they want something. Listen, they weren't following him because they trusted him as Savior. They didn't trust Jesus. Isn't the same true today? We look around, we got a lot of people that will come to a worship service every once in a while. We got a lot of people who might get down on a knee once in a while when, when things get rough and things get tough because they want something. See, it's important that we understand and remember the world's philosophy at this time. Remember, I said this a few weeks ago. The world's philosophy was that seeing is believing. See, for the Jewish person, seeing was believing. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1.22, the Bible reveals to us that the Jews require a sign, but the Greeks, they seek after wisdom. You see, for the world, the world's philosophy was seeing is believing, but Jesus' policy is that we believe without seeing. Right? We believe without seeing. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. In fact, if you go on, verse number 6 of Hebrews chapter 11 says that actually it's impossible to please God if you don't have faith. We must have faith if we're going to please God. These people didn't believe Jesus. They didn't want what Jesus, they, they weren't concerned about his doctrine. In fact, a lot of these people were just curiosity seekers. They were following because they were curious about what miracle he might do next. But I want you to know this, and a lot of people say, well, we see Jesus healing the the paralyzed man last week, and we see Jesus healing lepers. We see Jesus healing the blind man, which uh, we'll hear about next week. We, we, We see Jesus healing people. That was not his primary mission. His primary mission was not just to heal people physically. His primary mission, as communicated in Isaiah 61.1, and then Jesus also confirmed it in Matthew chapter 4, or Luke chapter 4, after he was tempted by the devil, was to heal the brokenhearted and set the captive free. That was his ministry. That was his mission. Right? The Bible tells us in Matthew 18.11 that the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. If you look at other gospel accounts, you see in Luke 9.56... The Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. This was Jesus' priority, to heal spiritually. I like what Jesus told uh, 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 Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, 10. He said, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And the Apostle Paul confirmed this same thing in 1 Timothy 1, 15, when he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to what? To save sinners. Oh, I'm thankful that Jesus came into this world to save me. My wife's very thankful too. There'd be a lot of problems in the home if Jesus didn't save my soul. But he did. He came to save me and I know that you are too. But I got to ask you the question. Why do you follow Jesus? 
That's a personal question. You're like, hey, don't step on my toes. But ask ourselves, why do we follow Jesus? Why do we worship Jesus? Why do we serve Jesus? I hope it's not just simply because you're looking for him to do a miracle today. See, because I said at the outset of this series, listen, there's so many people that are looking for a miracle, and if we would quit looking for the miracle and start focusing on Jesus, miracles would start happening. Right? Oh, we need miracles, but we must follow Jesus to obtain those miracles. The Bible tells us that Jesus was just trying to get away with his disciples. Notice verse 5 and 6. Verse 5 and 6 says, When Jesus lift up his eyes, he saw a great company come unto him. And the other gospels reveal that Jesus actually took compassion on the crowds. And he started teaching the crowds. But he sees them coming. And he says to Philip, he says, Hey, when shall we buy bread? He says, That they may eat. He says, Listen, how are we going to feed these people? <laughs> the Bible goes on and says, And this he said to prove Philip, because he already knew what he was going to do. Listen, reason you say well why did he ask Philip why didn't he ask Peter Peter's always talking well Philip was from this area of Bethsaida and so Philip would have known all the local establishments where bread could have been purchased he would have known the 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 geography of the of the or, or so to speak the lay of the land and so he asks Philip because this is Philip's hometown but what I see is the Bible says Jesus asked to prove him he's basically just testing Philip He's not, he's not asking for Philip's advice. It's like, well, hold on. If Jesus is Lord, why does he need to ask anybody how we're going to feed him? He's, he's putting him to the test. Do you know he does that to us too? Sometimes he puts us to the test. He doesn't tempt us. The Bible talks about that, but he does test us. And he's trying to prove our faithfulness, our love to him. In fact, the Bible tells us this. It says that in 1 Peter 1, 6, that you and I ought to rejoice greatly when we go through times of testing. And 1 Peter 1, 7 says this. It says this, that the trial of your faith being more, much more precious than gold that perishes, should it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at that appearing of Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, we're going to go through times of testing. But back in the story, we got 5,000 men. In fact, one person has suggested that if each man had a wife and one child, I'm not a rocket scientist, scientist or a great mathematician, but that equals about 15,000 people that have now gathered. And we already know that it's coming up on the feast of Passover. And so there's thousands and thousands of people that would have been traveling through the area, making their way towards Jerusalem. And so if we estimate this crowd at, at, at even 15,000, we've got a problem. But notice what the Bible says in verse number 7. Because number seven, see, verse number two, we found the word because, but in verse number seven is where we find our second word. Notice verse number seven, after Jesus asked Philip where they could buy bread, Philip begins to do what I think a lot of us do. He begins to rationalize. Anybody ever rationalize with the Lord? The Lord says, hey, I want you to tell this person about me. We're like, well, well Lord, uh, I mean, I'm like Moses, but how could I... My tongue gets tied, Lord. Lord, uh, I'm, I'm in a bond and I'm way behind. The kid's late for dance class. My son's late for soccer or basketball or wrestling practice. Lord, I just don't have time today. We start to rationalize. with the. That's exactly what happens here. Look at verse number 7. In verse number 7, the Bible says, Philip answers, and he says, 200 penny worth of bread, here's that word, is not sufficient. 
He said it's not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. In other words, what he's saying is we don't have enough money and we can't get enough money. Lord, that's eight months worth of wages. There's not enough money in the treasury. I don't have enough. We can't get enough. We don't know what to do. And yet he begins to rationalize. In fact, what's pretty cool is if you read the other gospel accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the disciples in unison give Jesus their rationalization. You know what they say over and over? Send them away. Get rid of them. Let them go and buy their own food. Send them away. Send them away. Send them away. And Jesus, every time in Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, and Luke's gospel, he essentially says no. He says you feed them. They say, send them away. They, they can buy their own food. And Jesus says, no, no, no. It's your job. You feed them. And so we see that the beat goes on. When it comes to our impossible, impossibilities and impossible problems, the possibilities with Jesus are endless. But here's what I want to remind us. Aside from Jesus, nothing in me and nothing in us is sufficient. See, why do we follow Jesus? And then a lot of times I think we rationalize with Jesus when it comes to, hey, I need you to intervene in my life, but what I have to give you is not sufficient. You know, it is sufficient in Christ Jesus, what we have. See, I, there's nothing inside of me or us that is righteous except for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ the righteous. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but it says this, but our sufficiency is of who? God. I don't have anything sufficient. The only one that makes what I have sufficient is Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says that God is able. He's able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Oh, listen, listen. The word not should never be in our vocabulary when it comes to something that Jesus is asking us to do. If he says feed them, then we feed them, right? We find a way through his strength, through his power. I love that story, Winston, you were talking about and the cyclone came and you got 92 kids that you got to feed. And there's nowhere to get food, but guess what? There's 92 people that are counting on you for food, plus teachers and workers. You got to do something. You got to be fast on your feet. But I'll tell you what we need to be more about rather than being fast on our feet. We got to be fast to our knees and start praying. We don't pray. And then we wonder why God doesn't work in our lives. We're sick and we need God to perform a miracle, and yet we don't even pray for ourselves. We don't even ask God to heal us. We want everybody else to pray. No, we've got to pray ourselves as well, no matter what we face. Listen, our sufficiency is found in Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. And the third word that I mentioned at the beginning of the message is found in verse number 9. Listen, it's as if Andrew hears what's going on. Jesus is asking Philip, hey, where are we going to buy bread? Andrew's like, uh-oh, we better start finding some food. And so Andrew says, hey, there's a young lad here, and he's got uh, five little barley loaves. By the way, a barley loaf, if you look at it and you study it, it would have been like a hamburger bun. It ain't like, it's not like a, a loaf of Italian or French bread. It ain't like we're slicing 20 slices. By the way, with 5,000 men plus women and children, even if they were all long 
uh, loaves of French bread, it still was not, in man's eyes, sufficient, right? And so Andrew, it's as if he's getting in on the party and he starts looking, but notice you start to see that his thinking is limited as well. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here. <laughs> There's a little boy over here, Jesus. And this lad, he has five barley loaves and two small fishes. And then he says that infamous word that we like to utter a lot of times. But what are they among so many? What's interesting to me is that these disciples that were traveling with Jesus at this time, they actually saw Jesus perform miracles. And yet none of them are thinking that Jesus could perform another miracle. They're like, you know, Philip says, hey, it's not sufficient. We don't have enough money. There, what we have, I mean, 200 denarius, 200 pennyworth, uh, eight months wages, that's not enough to buy food for all of these. And then Andrew says, hey, there's a little boy here. He's got five loaves and two fishes. But what are they? You know, I've learned in life that when men and women use the word but, it's always in a negative. But when God uses it, it's always in the positive. See, we always say something like, we say, Krista, she's a sweet lady, but... She's married to that goofball. We need to pray for her, <laughs> right? We, we talk, we're like, oh, man, I love to work. I, got, I just got a new job. And, man, the benefits are amazing, but I have to drive in on I-66. <laughs> Believe me, I've done that, <laughs> right? We always like to add the but after the fact. But when God uses the word but, he reminds us, but God commendeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But God's grace, God is able. Over and over we see the word but used in Scripture. Oh, it's used to encourage us. It's used to lift us up. I wonder if Andrew was, account, was an accountant. I really do. I wonder if he was an accountant, and my wife's an accountant, so I can make this joke or this statement. I wonder if he's an accountant because it's like he's trying to give Jesus a math lesson. It's like, okay, Jesus, here we go. Philip's already talked about 200 penny worth. That's not enough. I've got five loaves and two fishes, and I do the math, and da-da-da-da-da. That's not enough. It'll never be enough. But here's the problem. Andrew forgot to add something into his life and into the equation. And his name was Jesus. You see... We could take five loaves and two fishes and we don't even need the 200 penny worth. But when we willingly give ourselves and when we willingly give Jesus, quote, the whatevers are going on in our life, it really makes no difference. It doesn't, you say, well, don't you care? No, I do care, but it doesn't matter to Jesus. He's not overwhelmed by our needs. He's not, he's just not. He's able to do uh, exceeding abundantly above all that you and I could ever ask or think, right? And so when we add Jesus into our life, when we add Jesus into the whatevers of our life, he's able to perform miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Oh, listen, mathematically it may have seemed impossible to Andrew, but our impossibilities become possibilities with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I love to know that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ knows exactly what I need and when I need it. He's never early. He's never late. He's always right on time. Think about the Lord knew that Abraham 
would need the ram in the thicket. And he provided it right on time. He knew that Elijah was hungry and so he provides the barley and he provides the widow to sustain him during that time of his life. He cared for his children even though they were, they were, they were mumbling and grumbling out in the wilderness and he continually provided for his children. Well, listen, he provided for David. You remember David, he went up against Goliath. Our Lord was right on time. David said, God will give you into my hands this day. And he didn't just walk up against Goliath, he ran towards Goliath. Oh, listen, God is able to meet our needs. On and on, all throughout Scripture, I see the miracle-working hand of God over and over. And I can tell you this, that if you're sitting upright and you're breathing, which is a miracle in and of itself, you're experiencing the miracle, miraculous working hands of God even right now. Oh, listen, he is able in verse number 11, look at what the Bible says in verse number 11 and following. It says, and Jesus took the loaves. And he teaches us a great lesson here. A lot of people don't like to pray. They say, well, why are you praying over the food? And I know there's a funny little video. Should I pray over salad? Should I pray over, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, what? Yeah, appetizers and on and on. I mean, it's cute and everything, but we ought to pray over everything. We ought to pray over everything that the Lord blesses us with. And give thanks for it. This is what Jesus did. He took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples. Notice where the miracle takes place. It doesn't take place in the hands of the people out on the grounds. It doesn't take place in the hands of the disciples. Can you imagine the disciples as Jesus kept on handing out fish and bread? He distributed to the disciples and the disciples, read the scripture, and the disciples delivered it to the people. They got to have something to deliver. He just wasn't delivering air, right? And so the miracle takes place in Jesus' hands, and it says this. Verse 12, when they were filled, notice what he says. He says to them, he says, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. 12 baskets. And I know there's this folklore that says 12 baskets and they give them to the disciples. There were 12. No, not all 12 disciples were there at this time yet. You know where I think those baskets went? I think they went right back to the little boy who gave it all. Who gave it all to Jesus. I, I, I really believe that Jesus probably said, you know what? Thank you. Thank you for giving to the Lord. Listen. Remember I've said over and over, with Jesus we always get more than we need and we always get more than we deserve. Oh listen, this boy was used of the Lord. He teaches us a lesson here. He reminds us when he gives thanks, he reminds us that God is the source of all good gifts. Let me say that again because I think we've... God is the source of all good gifts. Well, a few of you woke up on that. Guys, do you know that if you have anything, doesn't matter how small or how big it is. <laughs> Looking at Ward, God just blessed you all with a new home. He's the source of all good gifts. Jerry, we're praying for you. We're praying for you like never before. I mean... You, you, you're like the $6 million man, right? We just keep rebuilding you, making you stronger and faster and better. Oh, man, the Lord's got an amazing plan for your life. Don't give in now. Don't give up. 
oh, you're just in the middle of the race. Keep running the race, right? We don't disregard the doctor's diagnosis, but we get a second opinion from the great physician. Listen, he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think, even when we're going through the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. Listen, our Lord is Jehovah Shalom. He is our peace. Our Lord is Jehovah Rapha. He is our healer. Our Lord is Jehovah Shammah. He is with us. And our Lord is Jehovah Jireh. He always provides. Oh, listen, the 12 baskets of fragments were nothing for Jesus. Reinforces the lesson that Jesus is all that we need. Last week we sang that song, Christ is enough for me. Is he enough for you? Is he enough for you this morning? Oh, listen, I believe he's enough for all of our needs. I like the end of the story in verses 14 and 15. The Bible tells us that when these men and they had seen the miracle, notice, notice that it actually gives proof to where they saw the miracle take place. A lot of people have been, been asleep at the wheel and we think, well, the miracle must have taken place while they kept on passing the basket. And this was like one of those uh, uh, illusions, uh, a magical basket. Or, or maybe there was a Chick-fil-A down the road or, or, or Arthur Treacher's Fish and Chips and they were, they were getting... A, no, listen, notice what it says. It says, then those men, then those men when they had seen the miracle that who did? Jesus. When they saw the miracle that Jesus did, wow. They said, this is of a truth that the prophet should come into his world. They immediately remember what they had learned about what Moses had said back in Deuteronomy 18, 15, that a prophet just like him would come one day. They're immediate. Think about it, because they're taught about Moses, right? And they were in the wilderness, and God sent the manna, and so they believed Moses fed the people, Right? Moses led them out of what? Egyptian bondage. And so in their mind's eye, they say Jesus is performing a miracle. He's feeding everybody. Maybe he's going to lead us out of this hated Roman bondage. And so they start putting two and two together and they start thinking. But what's funny to me is as soon as Jesus realizes what these guys are thinking in his heart, he's like, I'm out. You see, because Jesus didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom. His kingdom is spiritual. It always has been and always will be. Listen, he departs. And think about it. If there's 15,000 people present and Jesus is the center of attention and they have watched him perform this miracle, how does he escape? How does he get away into a mountain by himself? You remember the way they followed him. They watched him. I wonder if maybe there was a little miracle there and how Jesus got away. From 15,000. It says he, he didn't take his disciples. It says he goes out by himself. Notice. It says he departs again into a mountain himself alone. He just wants to get away. Over the past few weeks, we've talked about the connection of faith and obedience with the miracles of Jesus. And for time's sake, I was running faster than a, a racehorse at the Belmont Stakes this morning. But scripture, if you'll take time to read it, scripture reveals that not only faith and obedience were a part of this miracle, but we also see as a part of this miracle, giving and sacrifice. The little boy, we find nowhere in scripture that he was strong-armed to give the loaves and the fish. But he willingly gave. And God used what he gave to do great and mighty things. They didn't know what he was going to do. But he willingly gave, and God used that. 
that offering, that gift, that sacrifice. And he gave thanks for it. And he blessed it. And then the miracle took place. And thousands and thousands of people were physically fed. I want you to know that I think that it's much easier for me it has been anyway. Because I've been through my physical battles as well. It's always been much easier for me to deal with my physical infirmities when I give them to Jesus. When I stop trying to do things my way and I start doing things His way, it's much easier to deal with these whatevers that we deal with in life. I want you to know that's exactly what He wants all of us to do. He wants us to give ourselves to Him. He wants us to believe that He is able to do whatever we need Him to do. This miracle reminds me also that the only way that our world can and will ever be fed is through Jesus Christ. The way young children and families will be fed in India spiritually and physically and all around is through Jesus Christ. He's the one that enables you to provide whatever it is. In fact, what's pretty cool is the Bible tells us that the next day, Jesus, he starts teaching his disciples about the fact that he is the living bread that has come down from heaven. And he actually communicates to his disciples, if you read it in the latter part of chapter 6, he communicates to his disciples that he's the living bread that comes down and that anyone, anyone that partakes of him can have eternal life. Now there's a whole other study there that goes along with that. But the point that he was making is that physical, spiritual, everything came through him. And I put this down, Jesus, the living bread of life, continues today to be multiplied to the whosoever wills of this world, day after day after day. And the way that they do this is the same way that this miracle was performed. Remember? Jesus gave thanks, he blessed the bread, and he gave it to his disciples. And they were physically fed. Today, the bread of life gives thanks, blesses us as his children, and sends us, go ye into all the world. And give the living bread of hope to everyone that you meet. Everyone that you come into contact with. So spiritually, as disciples, we're to carry the living bread out these doors. And to give the same living bread to people. Even though many times we come up with the excuse where we say it's not sufficient. Or we rationalize with the Lord, Lord, eh, eh, I can't do this. I can't. You're right. I can't do it and you can't do it, but he can do it through us. We can love people enough to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. And so I wonder, where are you this morning? Why do we follow Jesus? Ask yourself these questions today. Am I following him? Am I worshiping? Am I serving him because I'm expecting him to feed me with the fishies and the bread? Am I following him for the fish and the bread? Or am I following him because of the miracle that he's already wrought in my life by faith? Am I serving him because I love him? Am I worshiping him because I adore him? What are the reasons we're doing this, right? That's the first question. And then ask ourselves the second and the third. When Jesus says to do something and we're struggling with whether we're going to exercise faith and obedience to ask ourselves, Lord, what I have doesn't seem like it's sufficient. 
But instead of using but in a negative way, I'll say, but I'll trust you anyway. I'll follow you, and I'll do exactly what you've told me to do. This is a miracle in and of itself to see men and women today in 2019 to be able to use the gifts that we have, the abilities that we have, the love that we have, and to go out and to impact other people as we have opportunity. And I pray that that's what you'll do. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as a Savior, I pray that you'll trust Christ. Listen, the only way, the only way that you can come to the Father is through Jesus Christ our Lord. He said he was the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by him. We have that opportunity. I pray that you'll take up that opportunity. You may be here and you say, you know what? I've been on the sideline long enough. And I've been saying, because. I've been saying, not, not, not today, Lord. I'm not going to do it. And I've been saying, Lord, I would do this, but what is, what is my service among so many? How can I have an impact on anybody's life? Give it to the Father. Give it to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let God do what you and I cannot do alone. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.